This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. Welcome into the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast, everyone. I'm Tom Oates. Now, it's been a while since we discussed fatherhood and paternal family engagement, so we're going to bring the topic back over the next few episodes. Now, it was a few years ago we brought together fatherhood organizations to discuss ways child welfare agencies could improve how they identify and work with fathers within the child welfare system. Now, across the next few episodes, and this is the first of of three episodes, we're going to dive a bit deeper into actual strategies implemented by agencies to change the culture around thinking about and working with fathers across their cases. Now, studies have alluded to improved outcomes for children and families when fathers are involved. But despite that understanding and a general push across the child welfare field to improve how caseworkers reach out to and work with fathers, the facts are most agencies still aren't succeeding at connecting with fathers and paternal families. So our conversation across the next three episodes, each feature teams, improvement teams is the term that the project used, from jurisdictions that were part of the Fathers and Continuous Learning in Child Welfare project. Now, in mid-2019, the project used a methodology called the Breakthrough Series Collaborative, BSC, and it's designed to support continuous learning by testing and spreading promising practices intended to improve outcomes on a focused topic. In this case, the BSC focused on improving placement stability and permanency outcomes for children by engaging their fathers and paternal relatives. Now, this episode, we dive into the work of the improvement team from Hartford, Connecticut. Now, in our other episodes, we talk with teams from Los Angeles County, California, and Prowers County, Colorado, to get a sense of a large, multi-tiered jurisdiction and a smaller, rural, but more nimble agency. All right, Christine Lau is an assistant chief for child welfare with the Connecticut Department of Children and Families. And one of the regions she oversees is the Hartford region. And Abdul Rahman Muhammad is the executive director of My People Clinical Services of Hartford. Abdul is one of the key community partners within Hartford's improvement team. So in this episode, we dive into some of the successful strategies that Hartford implemented, and they chose to test multiple strategies using a plan-do-study-act cycle. We also touch on the importance of working with community partners and those with lived experience. A lot of takeaways here on what was learned and what can be replicated by other agencies looking to improve how they think about and engage fathers within the culture of their agency. Okay, Engaging Fathers, Putting Lessons into Practice, featuring the work conducted in Hartford, Connecticut with Christine Lau and Abdul Rahman Muhammad, here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Christine and Abdul, welcome into the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. And Chris, let me just start with you here. 
Um, let's go back before the BSC. And if you could just give me a sense mm -hmm. of how you and how the state were, were addressing father and paternal family engagement. Okay. So first, thank you for having us, Tom. Uh, happy to, to talk about our work. Um, so I think in Connecticut, um, on a statewide uh, level, we had our eye on this fatherhood work. I'd say back uh, to around, you know, around 2011, 2012, when um, we developed um, what we refer to as our fatherhood engagement leadership teams, which uh, we call them FELT for short. Um, and those were uh, groups of staff at varying levels um, in each of the area offices, uh, you know, across the state here in Connecticut uh, at the agency um, that would come together on a regular basis to bring attention to the importance of, of fathers in child welfare. Um, that work really was, I think, largely, um, we would say, sort of activity and event-based um, in that um, each of the offices would, or regions, we have, we also have regions, would, um, you know, hold different events to try and bring a, like awareness again and attention to, to the importance of fathers. So uh, over the years, we had things like um, a Dad's Matter 2 field day event. We had a 5K run. We had a golfing um, event. So different, you know, different uh, offices would sponsor things like that. Again, really all uh, bringing awareness both internally at the agency and in the community uh, to the importance of fathers. Um, I think that what um, the the Breakthrough Series Collaborative did for us was it really brought us um, some structure around developing uh, strategies so that we moved away from this sort of activity event-based work. Uh, and, and it forced us to look at our practice, use some data uh, and develop ways really um, for us to, to not just do the work, but then to measure the work as well. I think some of that was going on, but I don't think um, at the level uh, that we took it to with the Breakthrough Series. And there was an assessment that you clearly had to have done to take a look, you know, like you just mentioned, how good, you know, how well are we and how effective is our work? Uh, give me a sense of that particular assessment for the audience. And, and what did you learn from it that helped you move forward? Um, so, okay, so in the breakthrough series, what we use, each of the jurisdictions were asked to um, complete what was referred to as a self-assessment tool. And the self-assessment tool was, was organized uh, into five domains. Um, we also refer to it as our collaborative change framework. Um, and the domains, um, you know, really, I can share them for you quickly if you'd like me to. Um, so again, there were five of them. The first one was focused on um, supporting the community systems and agency environments uh, that um, really fo focused on a value and a respect for fathers and paternal relatives. And I do want to say, I want to go back to your first questions. One of the, thing that the things that the Breakthrough Series also did for us, um, you know, prior to our involvement, was it helped us to also focus on paternal relatives. So I think that you know we had our eye on uh, the need to engage fathers in the child welfare work, but by bringing in paternal relatives, it only really helped us to, to strengthen uh, what it was we were 
uh, what we were working on. So that, so I want to go back. So that was domain number one. Domain number two um, is cultivating racial equity for men of color in the child welfare system. Uh, domain three was focused on uh, identifying um, and locating fathers and paternal relatives right from the start of our involvement with a family. Domain four uh, is uh, assessing and addressing the strengths and needs uh, and barriers for fathers and paternal relatives. And domain five is continuously involving fathers and paternal relatives throughout the lives of their children. Um, and so what we were able to do, and I'd like to have Abdul talk a little bit about this as well, um, with that, with that self-assessment was ask ourselves a set of really critical questions in terms of using a rating scale from one to five with, you know, one being your practice really needs a lot of work and five, you know, being like, you've nailed it, you've mastered this, your, you know, your, your work is where it needs to be. Um, and as a group, um, our team um, uh, completed the self-assessment together. Abdul, uh, as a community partner, was on that team. And um, I think it, it ended up being something that helped guide us. It helped to um, really put into focus where we needed uh, to, to strengthen our practice, where we were doing okay, um, and what we could celebrate, essentially. I, th I think that... Um... The highlight of the self-assessment was number one, by me being a community provider, I often played a role of the person that gives a little pushback. So, you know, when when the DCF office is saying that there are four, I'm saying to them that you guys are maybe a two and and, uh, and allowing us to have conversation around why that's true and and not making it like it's a negative, but seeing that there's room for improvement to actually get to a four in in a, in the real way. And then um, secondly, I think that uh, domain two in particular um, was it was almost like um, we kind of like went past it. And I think that most of the regions across the United States went past it. And when we went back to the to the the breakthrough uh, series and had conversations, it was kind of like highlighted for us on how we scored very low in it, but we didn't, we didn't, we didn't really do anything to kind of emphasize uh, domain two, you know, cultivating equity for mental color in social welfare. So it, I thought it was very important for us to highlight that as opposed to move past it so that, because, because that's a big piece of, especially in Hartford, you know, the, the, the population that we serve. So if we're not cultivating equity. It's almost like, well, what kind of work are we doing for the, for the men of color that we serve? And part of that equity not only means who are you serving and are you paying attention to it, but who, who's in your team and who's providing that actual lens to say, like Abdul, you just mentioned, hey, we think we're at a four, but maybe we're at a two because if you look at it from this perspective or if you change your lens on something, you get to see it in a different light. And so having that community partnership, Chris, with your entire team, give me a sense of, of who was at the table. Because clearly you had DCF staff as well, but but then you've got a voice like Abdul's that come in. Um, who's on that that team that you know you guys were were incorporating and, and kind of working shoulder to shoulder with? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so our team, uh, as you said, was made up of staff at varying levels uh, in the organization from frontline social workers to myself as um, as an administrator serving as the senior leader. And um, and I think that um, what was, as, as Abdul said, what was very beneficial to us was to have him as a community partner. Uh, he's been a partner in our work for, for many years. So it wasn't like we just, you know, said, hey, be a part of this team. Like he had been, a, he had really been at the table with us doing this work for, for many years. Um, and so um, it, it, it was also helpful for us to have as a member of our team, um, a gentleman who was um, actually a supervisor with one of our fatherhood engagement um, uh, services that we, uh, a, a contracted provider, um, a gentleman by the name of Don Crocker. Uh, but Don also had um, worked with our agency as a paternal relative. So he had, um, you know, served in the capacity of caring for, um, you know, um, uh, a, a relative, right, uh, in a foster parenting way. Um, and so, and Don um, is also a man of color and uh, brought a lens to this work that was invaluable to us. Um, and so, and our team was also diverse, um, not just in position, um, but in terms of makeup, uh, we had, um, you know, we had known that we wanted that uh, the team to, to represent, as Abdul said, uh, the population that, that we serve. Um, so that, that was really important to us. Uh, I think that, you know, when we thought about this domain to, um, you know, cultivating, um, cultivating racial equity, I think we, we, meaning we, the DCF people, you know, sort of came into it kind of patting ourselves on the back a little bit, because as an organization, you know, we had been at this work for quite a few years in terms of working to become a racially just organization. And we uh, also have what we refer to as an anti-racist framework um, that we work with under, so that we work within. Uh, and under uh, as a framework. And I think when we came together um, and we were sort of scoring ourselves here, you know, we we thought we were we thought we we were onto something. We thought we were, you know, doing the work we needed to do. Um, and it was funny because that's what I think caused us to kind of go right past it. Um, and and we really needed uh, and got from Abdul and from uh, and from Don. Uh, what it was that they were on the team for, which was to kind of say, hey, wait a minute, let's let's stop, let's talk about this um, and let's get real about it. And and as Abdul said, I mean, he has been a voice um, of reality uh, in many in many ways <laughs> along uh, along the time we've worked together. So it's a great um, example. But of- I, I, I do want to add one thing. Um, we did initially have uh, a dad uh, on the team in the beginning. Um, he came to, I think maybe two or three meetings, Abdul, uh, initially. Um, and, and, you know, I was reflecting on this the other day, and, and I don't know if you remember, Abdul, but when we had to, one of the very first things we had to do when we um, started with the BSC is they asked us to come up with a team name and a motto. And we were really lucky to have this dad with us in the beginning um, because when we were doing the work to give us a catchy name and a motto, he was in the room with us. 
And um, he really pushed us and, and had quite a lot to say. And so um, he, he contributed to that. And unfortunately, he, he wasn't able to stay with us for the whole time for a variety of things. Um, you know, I think work interfered. Um, he had just uh, assumed custody of his daughter. who's was a little toddler. He brought her to a couple of the meetings when we were meeting in person. Um, but he, uh, he was a great asset initially uh, to the team. So I wanted to just add that. It's a great example of of not being complacent of when when you know you you assume you're operating at a certain level, but after time you just get used to it and you may need that kind of as you mentioned a reality check for someone to come in and just say, "Hey, are we still are we doing what we think we're supposed to be doing or are we are we even doing what we assume we're doing and someone can say yeah but not at the level four but maybe at the level at the level two um when you guys chose to to address this and move forward you chose to develop a a series of small strategic um initiatives you know as as you guys if anyone looks through the materials they see you follow the plan do study act instead of one single initiative um, why is that? Why not one big initiative versus, or instead the way you went, with multiple smaller initiatives? One of the things about the Plan, Do, Study, Act model, it really allows for you to make mistakes and or even be able to say this isn't working and you can kind of like throw it away. So if you took one big project and then you're saying it's not working, that means you got to throw the whole big project out. But when you have small projects, when they're not, whether they got to the end or they they aren't working very well, we were able to kind of like move past those and go with the ones that were working. And I think that um, when we were cre- creating our PDSAs, there were a lot of times where people were coming up what would seem like something like the best idea ever. And then when they started trying to implement it, it really wouldn't uh, work the way that they thought. And we were able to say, all right, let's not do that anymore. We'll move on to this next thing. So I believe that that model really allowed for us to have flexibility and allowed for us to be able to kind of be creative, uh, work on the fly and to kind of like not get stuck in the mud. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think one of the very first things we uh, we learned uh, in our uh, in our in-person learning session when we were able to get together initially um, was the the small test of change uh, is really the way that you want to approach any problem that you're trying to solve. And I think I have to agree with Abdul. I think we tend to try to develop some grand plan to tackle this tackle this problem um, and it becomes very unmanageable. And so, uh, you know, one of the things like right off the bat uh, we heard was uh, what can you test by Tuesday? You know, or what can you do by Tuesday? Uh, meaning like, don't, you know, obviously you want to, Think about it, develop something, but but do something that you can test quickly, get a quick win if that's going to happen or or get rid of it, as as Abdul said. And so I think, you know, our team came to this work um, and came to the breakthrough series with a lot of ideas, with a lot of things that they really uh, concepts and, and, and strategies that they they wanted to test to see if it would stick. Right. And they wanted to 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 have some success. And so and they wanted it quickly. Um, and, and so it, I think it just everything fell into place. Um, and, you know, I think we left that first uh, two day session in D.C. 
with every single team member that went to that to that uh, to that learning session with an idea about something when we got back to the office they wanted to start to start trying. Um, and uh, I mean, I think it was really exciting. I mean, we were wrestling with, wow, this is a really big problem. Uh, and and it's going to take a really big solution. But then when we broke it down, there were just all these little things um, that we tried. And some, as Abdul said, some of those things didn't work. And so we abandoned them and that was OK. Um, but some of them took hold and and we saw um, we started to to, to see um, and continue to see, uh, you know, progress, you know, we've got a lot more left to do, but you know, we, it was nice to see the work happening. So what did you, what, what, out of those that, uh, that, that started to snowball and start to see some effectiveness, what, what are the, uh, some of those stra- strategies that come to mind when you think about the, the ones that, uh, uh were effective or are effective? Um, well, there's one that comes, comes to mind right away. Well, there's actually more than one, but, but, uh, one that I think speaks to, um, this, this notion of, you know, what we call moving the needle, right? How do we, how do we stop talking and start doing in a way that's going to get us where we want to be? Right. And so we have a practice in Connecticut, uh, that's called um, the considered removal process. And so, you know, just sort of briefly, uh, before we um, make any decision to remove a, a child from their biological family, we bring that family together uh, to a meeting, to a considered removal meeting. It's exactly what it what it says, right? Where we uh, are open and honest and frank with families to say, these are concerns that we have. It, they rise to a level where we may need to take action. Your child might need or children might need uh, to, to come in uh, to our care. And we ask them to bring their supports to the meeting. And so, um, so we have staff who are considered removal facilitators. And we just happen to have one of those facilitators on our team, she was on our Breakthrough Series team. And um, one of the things that she was um, uh, noticing is that when families would come together, there were a lot of maternal relatives at the table. Sometimes um, dad was at the table, sometimes he wasn't. Um, and if he was, he wasn't bringing many of his relatives. And so one of the things that she really focused on and and developed in what we call the pre-meeting, which is the work that we do internally with staff to say, okay, we're going to have this considered removal meeting. Tell us what the issues are. Who's, who do you think's coming? Is, you know, is mom, who's mom bringing, right? So there's all this sort of planning that happens before the actual meeting. Um, and, and she made um, a very conscious effort with a set of questions that she wanted to use at those pre-meetings um, to make sure that the social worker and the supervisor were thinking about dad. So no one got out of a pre-meeting without answering a set of questions around, um, you know, have you reached out to dad? Will he be there? Who is he bringing? Have has he, you know, has he made a connection to any relatives rather than, you know, typically what she is was experiencing um, what, you know, was a response to her question. The name of her PDSA was um, what about dad? And so when she would say, what about dad? Often, you know, people 
would say, people, workers would say, oh, he's not involved. Oh, he's not coming. Oh, and and, and she would say, no, 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 no. We're going to stop for a minute. Let's talk about this. And she'd dig a little bit deeper. She'd ask a you know, a few more questions. Um, and I think across the board, um, you know, one would say, well, isn't that the way the practice is supposed to be, right? That's how, of course, that's how we do considered removal meetings. We include that. But it was the incorporation of very specific questions, um, a very deliberate pause in the pre-meeting that she put into effect um, and began to measure it, began to, you know, uh, uh, each month, she'd take a look at how many considered removal meetings were there, how many had a dad, how many had a paternal relative, and that started to increase. We started to see an increase there. And as a result, I'll just add, um, uh, you know, we were able to divert um, children from coming into care, not just because the family was able to develop a safety plan or um, a maternal relative stepped in, like a grandmother or an aunt, but we saw, you know, diversion um, by way of paternal relatives or dad stepping up saying, hey, you know what, I can do this, you know, you know, let the child come with me, let the, you know, I'll stay with my mother or let the child go with my mother, that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. that was one thing. Go ahead. We also had, um, um, what, like my PS, PDSA was training. And so we offered training to the whole Hartford office um, we did we did uh, multiple types of training, everything from a half day training to, um, you know, a few hour and a half trainings. And I think that at the very least, it put fatherhood in the forefront of the staff's mind and, and allowed them to kind of like think about, you know, well, are we addressing the barriers that it, uh, to fatherhood? Are they um, are they working on different levels of engagement? Because a lot of times we say the word fatherhood engagement. And I often ask the question, like, well, what does that mean? And it's kind of like, well, how deeply are you engaging someone as opposed to just kind of like saying hello to somebody who's engaging them? And so it's like really getting to the level of really where you're actually helping them uh, through the process as opposed to just, you know, making a contact with them. And so I think that that was a good one. And I think one of the, the longstanding ones is our Father, father Talk um, newsletter that goes out every Friday. And, and, you know, this is just one of the, uh, the people yeah. that was on our team. She started doing the newsletter. Um, she was initially meeting with people as well before the pandemic started. And then, mm -hmm. um, but, but ever since. So now I think the last newsletter was up to. 63. I think it was like 50, yeah, 60 63. Something. For 63 straight weeks. She has, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it really, I actually, you know, this is, this is a great example of starting out small. Um, and something really taking hold. So when she left that first uh, in-person learning session, she had this idea that she was going to once a week go to one of her unit members, right? One of her, somebody who sat in the cubicle next to her, and she was just going to talk about fathers. She called it positive dad talk. And so she, you know, started, this is when we were in person, of course, you know, she started talking to one unit member and she started talking to another unit member. And then she had the idea of um, doing, um, uh, I guess it would call, call it a newsletter. Um, it's a, it's a information sheet, basically. Um, she calls it positive dad talk. And it's, it's something um, about how important it is and why it's important to engage fathers. And so then she started to, to um, expand that 
Um, I think she or her, she asked her supervisor to let her do that in um, like a unit meeting. And then she started hosting um, every Tuesday afternoon. She'd send out the newsletter on Friday. She'd host a, a positive dad talk the following Tuesday. Um, people would come together, whatever the particular topic was, they'd, you know, did, have you, you know, they share stories, they would share, you know, practice tips, whatever. Then it caught on. We went um, virtual. Of course, the pandemic happened. And uh, she started doing, um, putting it on Teams. It grew to the office. So she, now she had, she had moved just from her unit to the entire office, joining on Teams talking about the newsletter that she sent out and it expanded actually from the office to our, the office in Hartford to another office in Manchester, uh, which is in our same region. Um, and so that like, we love to give that example because it really was just a small test that she wanted something she wanted to try. And, and Abdul, you're right. I just looked at her, um, her uh, uh, newsletter last week and it was number 63. Hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious when, you know, when all of these strategies first come to, to light and they're, and they're just in everybody's head and they've just, they've basically written down what they want to do when they start. Um, yeah. how, how do you determine success at a point like that? Knowing some can snowball like the example you just gave, and then some may, you know, may not, may not have the success like that. How do you guys, because we're in, we're in this kind of proved to me where the, the, where the resources are going and, and let's, you know, if part of this plan, do study act, you've got to measure against something. What does success look like when, when you're coming up with all of these, specifically when it comes to something that, that can be looked at very vague of like, Abdul, you mentioned engaging, you know, fathers or paternal families? Well, one of the things I know is that um, another another member of our team was uh, Beth Landolini, where she was collecting statistics on on certain things within a D in DCF, like um, uh, Chris, join, jump in on this because yes, this is your, 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 your line. But it's <laughs> I know that we were trying to get data that would match the stuff that we were trying to do. So, Chris, go ahead and clear it, clean it up. Yeah. <laughs> See, Abdul, you, you know, you, you're speaking just like a DCF worker. That's why I love you. You you can you might as well just be a part of the agency. <laughs> the check. OK, I'll call. Well, we need you out there. We need you to keep us keep us honest. So, um, yeah. So, again, a, a part of the of the Breakthrough Series collaborative um, was about uh, measuring our success with like real data. Right. And so um, which, you know, we could we could actually have a whole nother conversation around uh, the awakening it was for us when we recognized that our system, uh, our, our, uh, our uh, well, we'll call it the, the computer system, right, that we have in Connecticut, um, didn't collect the kind of uh, data about fathers that we were, that we were after, right? So, so um, but however, that being said, we do have um, through our administrative um, case review process, which is our six month um, look at our case planning process. Uh, we do have uh, pretty robust data there that measures um, some what we call elements related to um, fatherhood engagement 
and um, assessing and addressing the needs of fathers in the same way that we assess and address the needs of, of mothers as we're as we're working with families. And so um, Beth, who was our quality improvement program supervisor, um, was was able to help us organize the data um, that the BSC was asking us to, to sort of keep and collect. Some of it we had to do manually. Some of it we were able to do, you know, through our automated systems. Um, but when we when we talk about measuring success, I think what was, which goes back to my, I think my comments earlier, earlier, earlier in um, our conversation was um, how it, we really wanted to move from um event driven and and in some ways really what we just described trainings you know positive dad talks those are all important around um this idea of changing the culture of your organization right thinking the way that people um talk about dads the values that we have about dads um and, you know and and the importance of them being involved in, in their children's lives particularly when child welfare is involved and so i think those were really good ways for us to get underneath the culture that we believe exists which is primarily to sort of discount the dad right the breakthrough series forced us to actually look at our practice. So to take that culture piece, the, our mindset and our, our beliefs, our values, our, 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 our actions that we you know, were holding um, and move those to the actual practice. Like what is it actually going to look like? You know, and how are you going to determine whether or not you have success? And so where we began to see that success Two, I think in two ways. One is, you know, in conversations um, with staff, whether, you know, we're talking about a case um, in supervision, what, what, whatever it might be, you hear workers naturally saying, and the dad, oh, and then I contacted the dad and oh, the paternal relative. And so that becomes sort of a natural part of, of the conversation. But we also saw it in our data. So because we get measured through these elements, it's kind of a, I'm not going to, you know, try to walk you through the exact process, but we get data, right, every month that gets pushed out to us through this administrative case review process. And what we began to see in Hartford for the first time since, and Abdul's been working there for a long time, I've had my eye on the data for a long time, we started to see that needle moving around our measurements for engaging fathers, right? That those percentages where they, they were, you know, uh, the data was around percentages. The data for engagement of fathers started to increase. The data around assessing the strengths and needs of fathers, sort of um, assessing and addressing their needs, meaning, um, you know, our workers could demonstrate evidence in their case practice through their you know, documentation that they were having a conversation with dad uh, uh, sufficient enough to assess what his needs might be, referring him to a service that could address the needs that he had. Um, and then, um, you know, data, we started to see improvement around, um, you know, collateral contacts. We call collateral contacts, right, which is basically helping us to make our assessment for father, the quality of visits with fathers. We were seeing improvement. Um, 
Well, there's there's a couple of other ways, but those are the those are the ways right off the top of my head that we we thought, wow, we're getting some traction here. We must be doing something right. So the biggest shift that I hear from this was a, a, a culture change. You know, mm-hmm. just adding it into not only the lexicon, but just the, the thought process of, of including or being open, you know, kind of opening up somebody's minds to saying, you know, there's this whole aspect, this whole other side, um, you know, the paternal families involved. Um, and then you mentioned how the data kind of starts to back that up. It backs up the, yeah. the behavior. But I'm curious to some of the biggest lessons that you and your team learned Maybe not it's specific toward engaging fathers, but maybe it's on the greater uh, implementation of the BSC. What's the biggest takeaway that you think you and and maybe your teams, and in, including Abdul and, as part of the team, may have learned from this entire experience? Well, I think that the, the biggest takeaway that, that I have from the experience is that um, Number one, I, I think the Plan Do Study Act model is is something that we can always implement. We can throw it in there anytime we want to, and, and it allows for us to continue to push the work forward. It also was good to be in the breakthrough series with other parts of the United States, other uh, regions, other other people doing the same thing. So we were able to hear things that they were doing and um, have the opportunity to still, if we needed to, if it, if it was something that we wanted to give a, a shot here in Connecticut. So I think that that was um, equally important just to be able to say, where do we stand in, 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 in all of this as well? And, and I, think that, um, I think that being a part of the Breakthrough Series as a whole, I think it gave a greater emphasis on fatherhood than we would have gotten without the Breakthrough Series. And I think that that outcome, because for, I mean, even, even now, I still feel like Hartford has one step up because they were able to be a part of the breakthrough series on the rest of the state because they it's it was such intense um uh you know information that, that was being shared with us so I, I that that's my thoughts yeah i mean i i there's a there were a lot of lessons i think uh, I, I would have to agree the the pdsa model is one that we continue to use. And we were just in a meeting the other day trying to solve another problem, a different problem. Um, And uh, someone from the team said, you know, well, I think, you know, if we, you know, uh, you know, apply the PDSA approach to this, we might be able to, you know, solve this problem. And so, um, and, you know, uh, this is another thing I think that comes away from that is, when we're in conversations about how to solve a problem, you hear you hear people who are on the team saying, "Too big, back it up, slow it down, make take take a piece of that. Don't you're you're trying to take on you know too much. That's not manageable. You know. So so I think you know I, you, we talk about PDSAs all the all the time, um, and and we make we make sure that um, you know we're trying to solve a problem using you know using that approach. Um, I also think what we learned um, just as an organization from those of us you know, on the DCF side was we cannot do this work alone. Like we could not have done this work without Abdul. We could not have done this work without, you know, without Mr. Crocker on the team. Um, we needed also, we needed staff at all levels to be a part of this work. We also needed you know, uh, we needed leadership support. 
Um, and I mean, leadership support above me. I mean, I, I am a leader, you know, a, an administrator in the organization, but I needed my organization to support the work that we were doing. And we got that, you know, we got that 100%. Um, and so I think that that was really important um, for us. Um, you know, and I also think Abdul, you know, the, you know he, he sort of glossed over his training, you know, his PDSA training, um, but it was really impactful. Um, and it was impactful because he challenged staff to think about what they referred to as barriers to engaging fathers as not really being barriers. And I think that had a significant impact on that culture shift and that culture change um, that we were experiencing because it's always easy to, to, to offer up the reasons why uh, something's not going to work when you're inside, you know, when you're, you know, inside the DCF world or the child welfare system. And when you have, um, you know, a provider and a partner um, like Abdul, um, you know, that, that made, it made a big difference. It really did. You, you walked right into the question I was going to ask, which was the must-haves that you would, you know, to, to be, that are necessary for success. And you, you talked about not only, you know, leadership buy-in at, at all levels, but also having the right partners at the table to be, to be engaged and to, to be able to add those different perspectives. But I'll turn that question around and saying, if you were to go back and start all over again, what would you consider doing differently? I think we we are we right. We just talked about the, oh, the same thing. Go ahead, go ahead, start. Well, I think that one of the biggest things is that I would make a bigger effort at making sure we had fathers at the table. Yeah, yeah. And 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 when I say fathers, I'm talking about fathers in their rare, their raw form, not necessarily the most polished, you know, best suit and tie father we can find that will be easy to work with. I'm talking about true fathers that are a part of the system who are going through the DCF process and, mm -hmm. and, and with the hope of them being able to um, give their feedback, learn, and, 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 and maybe they will get a little polish on them through the process. But I think that that's the number one thing that, that, I, that I think I would love to see more of is fathers. And then of course, I, I think everything else we had, I felt like, you know, the uh, providers, the leadership within DCF, I mean, our our stuff went all the way up to the top. And so it was like we really were able to push what we were saying out because it wasn't like we were speaking without anybody backing us up. You know, mm -hmm. so when at, at the end of the day, you know, when we did our final presentations, it was like the deputy commissioner was like, you know, giving us the seal of approval on everything that we were doing. And I think that empowers the work even more when it's not just providers and supervisors, but it's the leadership all the way through. And I mean, mm -hmm. even on our team, we had Chris, who's, you know, she's a big wig. And then, you know, you, you also have, um, we have Marissa, Marissa, who's the office director. So it was like everybody that was a part of the team was even, you know, uh, we had a great leadership in that as well. Yeah, I, I would agree. We, you know, we, often reflect on uh, what we could have done differently. Um, and, you know, by far, everyone says we, we really should have worked harder to keep that dad engaged or to find a, another father or two to, to serve um, on the team. I think we, 
you know, I think in some ways we relied on Abdul's experience, you know, serving dads through his organization and his um, program. Um, and I think we relied on, you know, the the gentleman who I spoke about earlier, who was um, a, a paternal relative caregiver, but also uh, worked with a lot of fathers in the program that he was the supervisor for with a different agency, you know, and I, and, and we, they were sort of by proxy, they were the voice of fathers for us, but I do think that we um, would have benefited greatly um, by having a dad with us the whole way through. Um, and, and yeah, if we were to do, if we were to do it again, we would definitely we'd do that differently. Other than that, I really, honestly, I've thought about it. I don't, I don't know that we would have done anything different. Abdul, do you? We I, would have, I would have liked about, the, well, the in-person, the virtual. Go ahead, say again. I would like the pandemic not to have happened because I really thought the in-person meetings were much better than the Zoom stuff. So, mm -hmm. I, I mean, not to say we didn't learn. I think we, right. we kind of, everybody learned how to use Zoom. But I mean, it was great when we were going to Washington, D.C., it really felt like, you know, you just feel like you're doing something when you go somewhere like, you, you know, so I just felt like when we were going to D.C. and we were in those rooms, I really I really felt like it, it was a big deal. And I think that, um, yeah. you know, I think I was a little disappointed when we had to go to the Zoom model. So I just wonder how much how different it might have been yeah. if we would have continued in, in person. Yeah. You know, I did think of something that we could have done differently. But and it really is just, a, you know, kind of a, 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 a half hearted way, sort of a joke that we we've had, which was when we had to go to the virtual way of meeting, Abdul would always say to us, we should be recording this. We should be recording this the, because the conversations were so rich and the experiences were so um meaningful right and, and to hear frontline the frontline staff on the team you know talking about what they were doing and you know just you know things that were working things that weren't weren't working and and he he would always say oh we should have been should have been recording that we we got smart somewhere along the way about sort of mid to late uh you know later in 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 our um in our work together and we did start you know on teams recording but but we always joke about that we should have been recording it from the beginning because it what really was an experience I mean we're trying to do our best to convey it to you here but it was an experience that um it just would have been great to have somebody like documenting it the whole way through because it's it's harder to explain than it is you know to experience um yeah well what you've done is definitely shown a blueprint for when there is an initiative when there is a cause or a desire for big systemic change you know how do we operate in this way and so some of those key things of what you mentioned and and it sticks in my head again about like well can you you know can you have something to test by tuesday Right. Let's just start thinking about small incremental progress and build off that. Uh, the plan, do, study, act in terms of not everything is going to be perfect from day one. How do we adjust? How do we, you know, we pivot or we persevere or maybe we have to, you know, put something aside. And you know, you talk about buy-in from all levels because if there's something that I heard is it wasn't one person's success by being the hero or the face because if they leave 
then the momentum at times can 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 wade by the you know can go to the wayside. But if you've got this entire team where everybody's got ownership and say and weight and moving things forward, then it's 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 a collective effort that kind of steamrolls on its own momentum. So you guys have provided a, a, a great example for that. And well, if you couldn't record every single one of your your meetings, you're at least able to record this one here with with us. Uh, Christine Lau and Abdul Rahman Muhammad, thank you guys so much for for sharing your time with us and talking with us here uh, on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Congratulations on the work that you've done and and that you continue to do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Now, if you head on over to childwelfare.gov to this episode's webpage, just go to childwelfare.gov and search podcasts. We have a link to the BSC pilot study report. It's titled, A Seat at the Table, Piloting Continuous Learning to Engage Fathers and Paternal Relatives in Child Welfare. You can read the insights into the implementation of a BSC and potential strategies for increasing father and paternal relative engagement in child welfare. We'll also have a series of information gateway resources on engaging fathers and paternal family members. Uh, There's a list of fatherhood organizations that you can search, along with links to the National Fatherhood Initiative and the National Responsible Fatherhood Clearinghouse. We've also posted a link to a video from the Connecticut Department of Children and Families about the project and the importance of equity. It features members of Hartford's improvement team discussing their fatherhood engagement strategies and the stages as they participated in the BSC. You can find, of course, the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Go ahead and subscribe so you can receive each new episode as they launch every month. My thanks again to Christine Lau from the Connecticut Department of Children and Families and Abdul Rahman Muhammad from My People Clinical Services for joining us on this episode. And of course, thanks to you for listening and joining us here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. I'm Tom Oates. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.